The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sin. God's mercy endures forever. Ye that do truly and earnestly repent of your sin and are in love and charity with your neighbor and intend to lead a new life following after the commandments of God, come draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort. Beloved, upon this first Sunday of the month, we welcome you to this ordered service of worship. We welcome you to an open table. The Eucharist is open to all of every age and station. We welcome you to consider membership in our chapel chapter and to do so by speaking to Mr. Bouchard or to Ms. No following service. We welcome you to join us in the continuation of conviviality following service, sermon, and Eucharist with a dish to pass luncheon in the Thurman Room, the Marsh Room downstairs. We welcome you to this season of disciplined, intentional, faithful obedience. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 17, verse 1 through 7, and 15 through 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, As for your wife, Sarai, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 22 with the Antiphon. fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn up, turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. 
future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Rigor, yours is a rigorous spirit. Visitor to the home of the Bean and the Cod, the Cradle of Liberty, here through Logan Airport, coming from whatever city on the globe. We'll descend the airplane and enter into the airport underneath a beautiful portico upon which has been placed 
the visage and the countenance of a familiar former president of this, these United States whose term was tragically foreshortened. And phrases from his era stay with us. The uh, new frontier, a profile in courage. This is, of course, John Fitzgerald Kennedy pointing in that picture to a rocket about to be launched. And you hear his voice as you come further along. He said, this is July 12, 1962, at Rice University. We choose to go to the moon. We do not choose to go to the moon because it is easy to do so. We cho choose to go to the moon because it is hard. Now that is rigor, or putting it more technically, rigor. And that is your rigorous spirit. Mars Chapel, you are searching week by day by year for a faith amenable to culture and a culture amenable to faith. And so this year on the first Sunday of each month, we have noticed not just the general revelation of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but the particular gifts of your spirit here of inquiry and of hymnody and of recollection and of patience and of life and of secularity, and today, this Lord's Day, of rigor. And this has been a rigorous, rigorous season. Thank goodness for a Sunday morning in which it is not snowing yet. <laughs> you know, we have all been inundated by the same amount of snow, but we have not all struggled in the same amount with that snow. Some of us, those laboring among us, have done more. The janitor plowing and shoveling at 4 a.m., the daycare worker arriving early and leaving late, the UPS delivery woman with two packages going up and down over a three-foot drift, and you and others enduring these labors. We have all been inundated by the same amount of snow, but we have not all struggled the same amount with that snow, which raises a question before we come to scripture and doctrine and application. Let me ask you, just point blank, what is the real blizzard of 2015? What is the great nevada of our winter? What is the cascade with which we struggle most? Is it the snow itself? Or is our challenge more cultural than natural, more theological than meteorological, more existential than material? Is the Great blizzard of 2015, not so much 90 inches as nihilism, or a nihilism sweetened with hedonism. Just what is the great challenge of this season of Lent? Our scripture will guide us a bit if we will let Paul and Mark with a little bit of reference to Abraham. Some of you are heading out to serve churches in just a few months. Uh, this is your last spring term. Those in the School of Theology, I remember well the last term at Union Seminary. We left early due to family illness, but in that spring I wandered the quadrangle at Union alongside my mentor, J. Lewis Martin, who handed me a book written by John Knox, his older colleague. Now, this is not John Knox, 
the Scottish reformer of the 16th century. This is John Knox, the New Testament scholar of the 20th century. And he gave it to me. It became a talisman of where life was to lead, though we couldn't see it then. We were going from school to church, from study to ministry, from academia to ecclesia. This week I went back to see what John Knox had written about Romans chapter 4. What a glorious, gracious passage it is. I marvel with you at this passage, but you have to read, don't you, every single word. I marvel at the bravery with which Fleming Rutledge from this very pulpit preached upon this text a year ago. I marvel at a phrase like hope against hope. We take it for granted. What does that mean? This means a hope without basis, a hope without security, a hope without proof. I marvel at that kind of hope even as I marvel that your faith is really, truly, mostly only your faith when it's all you have left to go on. More so, I marvel at Paul's doctrine of God. Do you listen? Now, the valence of a Greek ordering in a sentence of Greek language is slightly different from that in English, but the main point holds. Paul describes God how? How did he say it? God who raises the dead, numero uno, and then calls to an, into existence the things that do not exist, numero dos. That is, in his apocalyptic gospel, resurrection comes first, creation comes second. Creation is a subset of resurrection. The material is a subset of the eternal. The visible is a subset of the invisible. And what we touch and handle is a veritable subset of mind and imagination and revelation and apocalypse. What a beautiful text it is. John Knox did write, though. He wasn't criticizing. He wouldn't do so. So kindly a fellow he was. He said, this use of Abraham by St. Paul works in Romans 4, though it probably would have worked better for the writer to the epistle of the, of the epistle to the Hebrews, whose faith and existence are slightly closer than the, the, to the passage from Genesis. I marvel at Paul's ability to convey to us that the great things for life have been done. What most needs doing, God has done. Giving life, giving forgiveness, giving eternal life in the raising of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we are left to find our mode, our way of response. Likewise, in the gospel according to St. Mark, now we see Jesus only back through, this is March 1st of 2015, only back through the resonance and the shadow of the cross. We don't see Jesus directly except through that proclaimed gospel, but that's the same as St. Mark in 70. He saw Jesus, as you know, only through the shadow and resonance of the cross. And the early Christian preacher, it may be, whose words he places on the lips of Jesus, also saw Jesus only through the shadow and resonance of the cross. And what does that voice, prophetic voice in the early church say to you? It says that you shall follow the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And it says that we shall take up our cross and follow. Anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow. For those who save their life will lose it, 
and those who lose their life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Do you see that the material is a subset of the real? The visible is a subset of what lasts. It is exactly what Albert Schweitzer said after he had left the seminary and after he had left the organ and he went for 30 years to minister with medical arts to the Powan and Punjabi tribes folks. He said, he comes to us as one unknown without a name. As of old, he came to those men along the lakeside who knew him not. He speaks to us the same word, follow me, and sets us to the tasks he has to perform in our time. He commands. And for those who will obey him, be they wise or be they simple, he will reveal himself in the toils and conflicts and sufferings which they shall endure in fellowship with him and as an ineffable mystery they shall learn in their own experience who he is. And friend, as in an ineffable mystery you shall learn in your own experience who he is. The problem with the lectionary is that it cuts off the main part of this passage. Romans 4 is meant to wrap up a great hymn. We just miss it because we had only a portion of the reading assigned for today. Here is Paul's concluding hymn. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We find access to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of sharing in the glory of God. Grace and glory, grace and glory. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. For suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us here in inquiry and hymnody and recollection in patience and life and secularity and in rigor. Yours is a rigorous spirit, Marsh Chapel, virtual and visible both. You know, the doctrine that moves up out of this text, and the Puritans preached three-point sermons, scripture and doctrine and application, is one of gift and task. We see what we have been given, we hear what we have been given, and then we are called to respond. Let me ask you, what is the great snowstorm of 2015? Is it natural? Or is it cultural? Is it just this? Our culture languishes in the doldrums of a pervasive malaise. Our culture languishes in the doldrums of a pervasive malaise. I wonder if there's a little bit of spiritual snow removal we may need to do in the next Lenten weeks. Now you know at Marsh Chapel, because we are a university pulpit, that is we connect mind and heart here, we connect church and academy here, we connect thought and feeling here. We're not alone in that, although some of our earlier partners have slipped away. This is a particular place and so with you each Lent we engage an interlocutor 
somebody from a non-Methodist tradition, a sibling tradition, usually the Calvinist tradition, sometimes the larger Reformed tradition, because we want to be engaged by those with whom we don't completely agree. The tradition in which we stand emphasizes, for example, human freedom, human will, human history, human interpretation of scripture through the careful use of reason and experience and tradition. So we call upon in Lent to test and, and challenge and wrestle ourselves with those out of a different tradition that emphasizes divine freedom and divine providence and divine creation and divine scripture speaking with unforgivable concision for a moment. That is, we call on a Calvinist. In other years, who has that been? It's been Marilyn Robinson, it's been Jacques Ellul, it's been Karl Barth, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer out of the Reformed tradition, it was the doctrine of atonement. And this year, oh, and in one year, we even wrestled with himself, Jean Calvin. This year, it is Jonathan Edwards, 1703 to 1758, perhaps the finest theological mind that these United States have ever produced. Pastor for a long time in Northampton and then much later or later still in Stockbridge before his untimely death. I marvel at Jonathan Edwards. What a thrill it has been for me to read the last several weeks and months preparing for these sermons. I delight in his love of excellence. I delight in his love of beauty. I delight in his knowledge of Newton. I delight in his knowledge of Locke, inner and outer, psychological, cosmological. I delight in his sense of the religious affections, but mostly I delight that everything he wrote came up and out of, was imbued by his pastoral experience. There's, I suppose, a range of practical theological thought that argues today that theology to be theology must be severed from the life of the church and that completely. Jonathan Edwards reminds us otherwise. We refer this morning only as we come to communion only to his, the denouement of his ministry. You know, he who's lit the fires in Northampton of the Great Awakening, he who took his grandfather Stoddard's fine pulpit and led the congregation through many decades, he who was known as a preacher and theologian both in Europe and here, he who had accepted his grandfather Stoddard's recommendation about church membership and Holy Communion, that it basically be self-selected, after the Great Awakening began to see things in his community that he didn't quite like, know, or trust. And so he decided to require a public affirmation of faith for church membership and a public affirmation of faith for the reception of the Lord's Supper. This went over, shall we say, like a cement cloud. This went over like a lead balloon. And after three years, the finest theological mind in these United States was shuffled off to a small parish in Stockbridge. This, by the way, is not the large church on the main street in Stockbridge that you see. It's a little chapel down in what we would call today West Stockbridge, where he spent some years in ministry with farmers and the Native Americans before he was summoned to a little school in New Jersey, Princeton by name, where he lasted exactly one month and died of smallpox. Jonathan Edwards is remembered, among other things, for this moment of individual or existential eschatology. Resolved that I will be afraid to do nothing that I wouldn't be afraid to do in the last hour of my life. That I 
am afraid to do nothing in the last hour of, uh, that I would not be afraid to do in the last hour of my life. He reminds us of David Carr, our recently deceased professor of communications who wrote steadily in the New York Times and elsewhere about the present future. It's almost Johannine. The hour is coming and now is. That sense of the present involving and folding into the future. David Carr and Jonathan Edwards would probably find themselves bemused to be mentioned in the same paragraph, but they are right there together. The gift that is given us in God provides us a chance to respond, and in the case of Edwards, it involved a long and glorious ministry that was theologically based in the experience, the pastoral weekly experience of preaching and teaching and care. We shall hold him with us in the next several weeks in the preaching of the gospel. Yours is a rigorous spirit, Marsh Chapel. We shall apply this in a few moments before we come to those most blessed words in a sermon and in conclusion and, in, and finally, and here we are. Look about you and listen. You're going to see and hear. Those of you who were present in a full chapel last night for an hour to hear the choir, the Marsh Chapel choir sing, Rachmaninoff, know about rejoicing and alleluia and suffering and struggle and especially the rigor it takes to bring and perform that beautiful music. You might look also at Boston University at Christopher Ricks who over some years now has produced a 960 page compilation anthology of the poems, the lyrics of the songs of Bob Dylan, Robert Allen Zimmerman, known to you as Bob Dylan, between the windows of the sea where lovely mermaids flow and no one ever thinks too much about desolation row. Bob Dylan, a warning and a voice of caution, let me warn you that you might want to go to Mugar to read this book because it's 13 inches by 4 inches and weighs 13.5 pounds. That's rigor. Or think of Judy Braha, our Boston University theatrical guide and teacher who has completed, it's over now, a splendid rendition of Margaret Edson's fine play, Wit, where she played on Tremont Avenue here in Boston, the protagonist Vivian Baring. It's a good academic play. Vivian Baring, this character, is a world-class poet and teacher of poetry, particularly the sonnets of John Donne who is a product of a world-class doctoral program. She discovers alone in age 50 that she has fourth stage metastatic cancer. And as she says at the, at the outset of the play, after 90 minutes, for me, it's curtains, and I really mean that. Her antagonist, the scientist, a former student, physician, who took her course and did not get an A, how she wished she had given him an A, her savior, a nurse who ministers to her physically through hugs and hand lotion, personally through conversation and honesty, spiritually through watching and listening through the rigor of care. The physician says to Baring at the beginning, you know, professor, this is going to be hard. And she replies, I teach John Donne. I like what is hard. Play ends, curtains, if you will, with the reading worth doing again this afternoon of Margaret Wise Brown's Runaway Bunny, illustrated 
by Clement Heard. And the recitation of John's, John Donne's holy sonnet, number 10, and the emphasis on the comma, not an exclamation point, but a comma, death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty, thou art not so, death shall pass away. That is rigor. These stones at Marsh Chapel will reach out and speak to you if you will listen to them in a rigorous way. What a joy to officiate at weddings over the years of those who've gone out of our midst. Every year you're sending people into ministry and service across the country. Megan Chipman and Jeremiah Thompson in 2008 at Whitefish Bay in Wisconsin. Elizabeth Fomby Hall and Brian Hall in the Lone Star State of Dallas, Texas in 2010 and Nellie Staley and Chris Heston in Pittsburgh at Heinz Chapel in 2012. You know that Daniel Marsh, who designed Marsh Chapel, grew up in Pittsburgh. And when you go to the Heinz Chapel, which was finished 10 years before the plans for Marsh Chapel began, what do you find? A Gothic nave, Indiana limestone, a divided chancel, wood at the altar, stained glass windows, conic stained glass windows, figures in the windows, Francis of Assisi, Francis of Assisi with the birds, and even, yes, the 16th president of the United States there at Heinz Chapel in Pittsburgh, Abraham Lincoln. We learn by imitating. A child hears and speaks. A child sees and does. And we build on the rigor of others. But you know, behind that chapel, there is a great multi-story, 20-story cathedral, tower of learning, the cathedral called the Cathy there. And it was built with a room for every, every country in the world and its motto that students here might see moments of heroic victory. Well, behind this chapel there was to have been built a tower in design. You can see its design downstairs, almost identical to the one in Pittsburgh. It's just that, well, you know, Times being what they are, we sort of ran a little bit short in those years. That is rigor. Your spirit, the stewardship of which is given to us together in our time, is one of rigor. Now in a moment, and thanks to the grace of my colleague and friend and predecessor, Dr. Robert Cummings Neville, who is our celebrant at Eucharist today, we're going to invite you to come and receive. It's open to all. Unlike Jonathan Edwards, we're not going to require an examination. Unlike Jonathan Edwards, we're not going to give an exam. But we will ask you the following question. What is the real blizzard of our time? Is it natural or is it cultural? Is it visible or is it spiritual? Is it material or is it existential? Do you, do we, do I have a little bit of snow removal, spiritual snow removal to do, to abstain from evil, practice good, to worship God, to keep faith and friendship and relationship, to give generously week by week, and to worship God every day in prayer and every Lord's Day in church? Sometimes you have to hear things more than once. You know that 
nine-step list of the fruit of the Spirit, I only, I've heard it so often, has in its triads three musical tones. The first three are one step, love, joy, peace. The second three are two step, patience, kindness, goodness. The third are three step, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Sometimes you just have to hear things more than once. Beloved, let us take with us the resolution of Jonathan Edwards resolved to do nothing that I would not be afraid to do in the last hour of my life. And let us remember our own Earl Marlott, who coming to this season wrote, Are ye able, still the master, whispers down eternity, and heroic spirits answer, now as then in Galilee. Lord, we are able, our spirits are thine, remold them, make us like the divine, thy guiding radiance, Above us shall be a beacon to God, to love and loyalty. Please be seated. The peace of God be always with you. 
Welcome to Marsh Chapel once again, a heart in the heart of the city, a service in the service of the city. We would love to get to know you better and help you get to know one another better. And a great way of doing that is by filling out your name and contact information in the red books towards the center of each pew. So please pass those along. Following the service today will be a potluck lunch downstairs. All are welcome. Whether or not you brought a dish to pass, we'd love to see you. Sunday evening tonight at 6.30, we will continue our Art Linton Vespers service in Robinson Chapel. It's complete with painting, dinner, and the Eucharist. What more could you want out of a Sunday evening? Please join us. Additionally, it's not too late to sign up for our Linton devotional series, which comes in an online email format every day. If you want to sign up for that, you can see our chapel website at bu.edu chapel or see our chapel associate Jess Chicka right after the service. Today, all are welcome at our communion table. Wine will be on the pulpit side and grape juice on the lectern side. There is gluten-free bread available. If you're in need, just mention it to the person at the front. And also, if you find yourself in want or in need of healing and prayer, please visit one of our healing stations. It'll be under this first window next to the pulpit. Um, after you partake of communion, please go seek a minister for prayer if that's something that appeals to you. Other events and activities can be found on our website at bu.edu chapel. Now, as we call the ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. Let us enter into a time of intentional generosity, and as the choir lifts us up in song, may we find ourselves being as generous as we are able.
the work before us, for the life within us, for the fellowship among us, for thy love that surrounds us. We give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You brought all things into being and called them good. From the dust of the earth you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, you bore up the ark on the waters, saved Noah and his family, and made covenant with every living creature on earth. When you led your people to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, you gave us your commandments, and made us your covenant people. When your people forsook your covenant, your prophet Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and on your holy mountain he heard your still small voice. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy.
Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. When you gave him to save us from our sin, your spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for his ministry. When he suffered and died on a cross for our sin, you raised him to life, presented him alive to the apostles during 40 days, and exalted him at your right hand. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Now when we, your people, prepare for the yearly feast of Easter, you lead us to repentance for sin and the cleansing of our hearts that during these 40 days of Lent we may be gifted and graced to reaffirm the covenant you made with us through Christ. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet, through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory.
eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Lord, support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes, the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us, we pray, a safe rest, a happy lodging, peace at the last, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 